Good evening. Good afternoon, buddy. We are back once again, Ark of Hope podcast. And if I ever get them uploaded. Yeah. 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 I mean, we will eventually. Yeah. It's all good stuff. God's word's unchanging, right? Amen. Amen. And so we're going to talk tonight about the Trinity. Ooh. The reason that we're doing this is because, well, A, we don't have a structured study for Wednesday nights. Anymore. Anymore. Okay. So Friday nights is structured because we're going through the churches of Revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunday is structured because we're going through the whole book of Revelation. Wednesdays, we just kind of been yeah. hitting different topics. And so the Trinity is a good one. Um, I think that nowadays the fundamental doctrines of the faith are being attacked more than ever. Yes. The atonement is one. Obviously, uh, Judeo-Christian morality, the LGBTQ etc. movement mm-hmm. is um, there's a lot of syncretism. People trying to take Christianity and mix it with that movement. And there's a lot of compromise on that front, morally speaking. And so there's a lot of things that are fundamentally taught in scripture that are being undermined today. And the Trinity is one of them. And it's even worse because of the internet. Yes. Anybody can post anything on the internet. And so you'll have all these websites, uh, websites like Bible studies and word of God.com. I, I don't, these are just, examples i'm throwing out there okay not actual examples but websites that sound like that i mean and you see that and you think oh okay so this is representative of normative christianity yeah good sound bible teaching no no not at all it's just somebody who came up with the website and they're teaching heresy and you know a lot of times it gets a lot of like a lot of traffic on the internet and so anyways especially if you have people that you know, they're just, oh, I should go research this because, you know, I'm kind of interested in God. Mm-hmm. I feel, you know, something calling me to the Bible. Yeah. I need to study. What do I do? Oh, look on the Internet. Oh, there's a Bible study. And some of them and are at the top. Like when you yes. click Trinity, like these are at the very top. Okay. Right. And so you have this competition. You have yep. orthodoxy and then you have the heresy. Yeah. And they're right there next to each other. And so someone who, like you said, is searching can very easily be deceived. Yeah. And so we don't want that to happen to anybody who's listening to our podcast. So we're going to talk about the Trinity and explain it as best we can biblically and also give a, a, sal- a solid, I said salad, a salad defense, <laughs> a solid I, we had salad. defense, salad. I want a salad now. Anyways, we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, I'm sure, because I got a lot here. Good. Okay. Uh, we're going to break it into three sections um, the first section is inspired scripture. Obviously our ultimate standard and authority is God's word. So we're going to talk about what scripture has to say. And then we're going to talk about reason because a lot of people will say the Trinity is anti-reason. It's illogical. And so we're going to discuss the Trinity from a mm. logical standpoint. And then we're going to look at some objections From a biblical standpoint, there are verses that many people say, oh, that challenges the doctrine of the Trinity. And every single one that I found that challenges the doctrine of the Trinity supposedly is really easily explained. If you have a good understanding of the Trinity, if you have a bad understanding, then, yeah, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a good point. But if you understand what the Trinity is, then really all of the objections are easily explained or answered. And so anyways, the first point that we have to discuss and this is probably the most basic point is that according to scripture, there is only one true God. Absolutely. I mean, that's a pretty simple one. Uh, the, the simplest sh- the perhaps. Shema. And you know what? That's exactly what I was going to go is to. Right? Yeah. Go. The, the Shema 
is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And this is a really good one because, ironically, a lot of people will go to this verse and say, oh, well, this doesn't allow for the Trinity. I think it does. But the Hebrew text, as well as its usage among even the Jews, shows that they did not understand this to exclude plurality within the Godhead. Exactly. So let's look at that. It's uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Lord, by the way, there hmm. is Yahweh or Jehovah. We're not going to get into the debate of how it's pronounced. Correct. Um, but in verse number five, moving on, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all might. thy might. And so clearly here in verse number four, Yahweh is seen as the unique God he is one to the Jewish people. Yes. They have no other gods but him. Now, some people would say, well, this doesn't strictly speaking teach monotheism. I can remember in college we studied this subject and I learned about how there are liberal scholars who would say this is what you would call monolatry um, or henotheism, that they they acknowledge the existence of other gods, but they only worship one God as supreme. Huh. Now, the reason they would say that is because, well, one, they're interpreting the Bible from a Near Eastern perspective, and they'll say, well, the Jews are not unique. Yeah. Okay, so because they're not unique, they must have believed in many gods. Okay, and if they believed in many gods, but yet they worship Yahweh exclusively, well, then that's henotheism. That's right. not strictly monotheism. But it is very clear if you keep reading in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 32, 39, Take a second to get there. It says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no, no God, God with me. me. No yep. God with me. That means beside the one true God, there's no other God. Right. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Hmm. And so that clearly shows that there is no God beside Yahweh. And this is clearly taught elsewhere in the Old Testament. So you have Isaiah 44, 6 and 44, or sorry, 45, 5. So 44, 6 and 45, 5. Those are verses that also teach that there are no gods beside Yahweh. So we have one God, but the question revolves around the word one. Some would say, well, that would exclude Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the mm. Trinity, that whole conception. But the word for one here in Hebrew, and when I pronounce it, it's going to sound like I'm hawking a loogie because Hebrew generally sounds like that, but echad. Wow, you're going to hell for that. Echad. <laughs> it does sound like that. One day you know? you're going to be speaking Hebrew fluently. <laughs> It'll be your heart language. It's, you know what? And that'll be fine. It and you'll s- think back on this day. It won't sound like that to me then, though, Scott. <laughs> and so uh, echad means one as in unity. It doesn't mean one as in absolute singularity. There is another word in Hebrew for one in that sense, and it's Yahid. Okay. okay. So it's been pointed out by Messianic Hebrew scholars like uh, Michael Brown is one example. Yeah. And I'm sure you'd find this in Arnold Frutenbaum's work and, and many other yeah. uh, Jewish believers, but they point out that Yahid is not used of God right. in the Old Testament scriptures. And so this idea of God being a monad, mm-hmm. okay, being by himself, Okay, until he creates everything else like that conception of God isn't in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Mm. Bible, you find something that's it's kind of confusing, to be honest with you. And the way the Jews handled it, um, 
illustrates that fact. They read the Old Testament, and with this stuff about the angel of the Lord and the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, this sort of thing, it, it showed that there was some plurality there. Right. You know, even the name of God, Elohim. Right is Hebrew, but yet it uses singular verbs. So mm. that's kind of odd that you should be in agreement there, you know? And you also have in Genesis one twenty six when it says, let us Must make be. man in our image. Yes. So it's a singular image, not images, right. but it's our us, yes. which is strange. Some people would try to pass it off and say, oh, well, that's talking about angels. But no, we're not made in the image of mm. angels. The no, Bible we're says we're made in the image of God. Even the text itself says that mm -hmm. in Genesis 1. And then, of course, people will say, oh, well, that Elohim thing, you know, when it says uh, Elohim, you know, it's plural. They would say that's sort of like a plural of majesty, like, you know, the queen, you know, right. or the king saying, you know, us instead of I. But the problem with that is that's reading back into the Hebrew Bible, something that was Current not day. in use at yes. the time. OK, so there's no evidence that at the time that's what the reading. Hebrew Bible was written that that was a way that they they commonly understood things, okay? So the plural of majesty, um, that's anachronistic, reading that back into the text. And uh, many people have admitted that. They would still say, well, you know, it may not be exactly equivalent to the plural of majesty, uh, but maybe it's like an intensification, you know, because in Hebrew, we do see that often. We mm. see like an intensification, sometimes plural, you know, just makes something bigger, something right. grander. But again, that leads to this question. If Hebrew was the original language spoken by Adam and Eve, I personally think it was. Mm -hmm. So if Hebrew was the original language spoken by Adam and Eve, why is it that plural is intense? Yeah. Why is it that plural is grander? Hmm. There has to be a reason. And if this language is not something they invented, but it's something that they were designed to speak, God designed them to speak that. He gave, gave it to Maybe them. the reason why plural means greatness is because God is in some sense plural. plural, but yet at the same time, he is one because again, we see the singular verb use there. Yeah. So I, I find it very compelling to see those things, even at the very beginning of the Bible. You know, right out of the gate in Genesis, when it speaks of God creating, we have God, Elohim, plural, but he's doing this act in the singular. Yeah. Okay. So one God, but yet he's plural in some sense. So I, I've always thought, no, I shouldn't say I've always thought, but one time I was reading this and I went, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and I thought, what if God's saying, you know, here are Israel, the Lord, our God, our, the Lord is one. He's saying there's... Three of us, like we're talking about three of us. Well, not necessarily three, but he says, let us make man in our image. Mm -hmm. He's saying here, we're one. Mm -hmm. We're not just, you know, it's like there's more, you know, because you've said before, and I've read elsewhere where they knew that there was this plurality to God in some sort of sense. Yes, in the right? Zohar. Yeah, exactly. In the Zohar, right. it's so, a me medieval document, which you know, Kabbalistic Jews revere and it, a lot of the traditions date back to second temple Judaism. Right. And so, and, and maybe even before that, and they do use expressions such as three in one, which is yes. amazing because yes. these are Jews. They're not Christians, but they're using that same type of language. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, yeah, that I first discovered that through Grant Jeffrey, one of the books that he wrote he quotes extensively from Jewish writings mm -hmm. and his contention was that the Jews, they were already, if they hadn't clearly stated it, 
which of course we shouldn't expect them to clearly state it. We have progressive revelation. The Trinity is most clearly stated in the New Testament. Right. Even if they didn't clearly state it, they were starting to formulate something very similar yep. to the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and it was because they had the Old Testament just like we do. And so the New Testament, the Old Testament, there's no contradiction here. Right. We see the Trinity explained in further detail, like in the new Testament. Yes, we have father, son, Holy spirit, like these Trinitarian formulas are commonplace. Yes. So it's easy to identify. Okay. There's plurality. Well, who are these, who are these persons in this unity, which right. is God. And uh, we see father, son, Holy spirit in the old Testament. You got the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the Holy spirit. When you start getting further towards the end, like uh, in Proverbs, uh, in the Psalms, we have God's son coming up. Right. So again, it may not be all there together, but it, it is coming together. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a common thought, a common thread even. Right. Yes. It's like, exactly. okay, here we go. Like, like you just said, mm -hmm. it, it's being revealed, but it's something that I think that they always knew. Yeah. I, th three, I think so then, too. I, I think that know. there may have been a, I don't know um, how much the prophets knew, right? Yeah. I mean, there is progressive revelation. So there are a lot of things that they wouldn't know because they would be revealed by prophets later on down the road. However, I agree with you. I think that from the very beginning, um, you know, Abraham, for example, exactly he has that thinking. encounter yes, with God. Exactly and and so yep. even if he may not have understood all that we have in the New Testament, right? Um, the idea of of God having a son, the God being in heaven, but yet mm. God coming down from heaven at the same time. Yeah. You know, all of that, that stuff. Yes. I think that that yeah, was yeah, definitely yeah. revealed there. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, we find this in the old Testament that there is one God, but yet there is some plurality to God. Uh, another thing that's interesting about the word Echad in Hebrew in Genesis two twenty four, it talks about husband and his wife becoming one. That's the same yes. term being used there. Yes. And so obviously that's a unity, but uh, that doesn't take away the distinct persons involved in that relationship. Now, of course, we're not saying that that's a perfect analogy. There's no perfect analogy to express the Trinity. Right. Um, but the idea of plurality and unity, that is what the Hebrew term means. Now, what, when it gets really controversial is um, when you're dealing with cults, because it all centers on really Jesus. Like no one... Or rather, I'll say Jesus and the Holy Spirit. No one debates that the Father is God. There's not a single cult out there right. that denies that the Father is God. It's just Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's the battleground. And the Holy Spirit, less so. But we'll talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit because there are cults that, de that deny that. But um, Jesus is fully God. This is something clearly taught in Scripture. Yep. Uh, I have been challenged on this before, uh, challenged in my own reading, challenged in conversations that I've had, and it's driven me to the word of God. You know, those moments where you're like, have I been taught the right thing? Have I yeah. been taught the truth? And yeah. as I've really dug deep, yeah. Old Testament, New Testament, yeah. I have found that there is such a rich body of evidence that Jesus is fully God. Yeah. And it's hard for me to imagine someone not being able to see that. I really do believe that there's a spiritual blindness going on. If you come away from the Old and New Testament, the Bible, and you you don't believe that Jesus is eternal creator and worthy of worship, mm. which is what God is, right. eternal creator, worthy of worship, right. then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And so the reason that this has been laid on my heart is because 
Christians need to unite on the things that are most important. And this is one of those things. Whenever we were at the farmer's market on Saturday, yeah. um, I had a really good conversation with a friend that I went to church with years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to a different church now. It's not a Baptist church. It's non-denominational. But um, he was talking about how there are people in the congregation that, you know, some are reformed. He's not reformed. And we were talking about how, you know, Sorry. it's it's possible for people to, you know, agree to disagree on some of those things. And and then as I was walking around the farmer's market, obviously, you know, we have our group yeah, that's yeah. there. And, and then I kept walking around and I, I noticed that fellow who yeah, had the gentleman the, there with the, the gentleman. Yeah. yeah the mid acts awesome. gospel of grace. And obviously mid acts dispensationalism. Sure. I, I don't agree with it on every little no. thing, but, but his here's heart the thing. is in the right spot. He, he's got the gospel down. That's right. right. He's got the gospel and he believes that Jesus is God and he that's believes right. the Trinity. And so Going there and running into these people and talking with them, not necessarily in my church, not necessarily in my denomination, but it's like we're brothers and sisters, you know, and then you cross that booth that Jehovah's Witnesses there. It's hard. And then it's like, that's different. That's not the same thing. Yeah. You know, I I could say to this mid-axe guy, well, I disagree with you on this, but we're brothers, right? That's right. It's a family disagreement. Yeah. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's not family. No. Those are people who are outside. We want to bring them inside. But the Trinity is one of those things where, you know, I I feel like Christians, we can so easily, I myself have been caught up in debating the intricacies of theology when it comes to dispensationalism, end times, even Calvinism. I have opinions about all these things. That's right. But the Trinity is one of those things where we can kind of like join arms together and say, look, this is what makes us. That's right. The body. Yep. This and the gospel of grace. This is what brings us together. And uh, it just because you say, I believe the Bible, mm-hmm. just because you say I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean that you are. That's right. Okay. You have, you have to have the essentials down. There are a lot of things that you learn. You're a baby Christian. You're going to grow. Right. But believing that Jesus is God. Okay. That's an essential. That's, that's, that is an essential. Yeah. You know, you know, salvation is not something you earn. That's right. That's an essential. That's right. And so if someone can't get on board with those things, then we can say, well, I, I respect your passion for what you believe. Yeah. Okay. But that passion is misplaced. That's true. And so it was interesting that when I walked up to the Jehovah's Witnesses, they said, oh, we're really glad to see people passionate about the Bible. And they said that about me. And I'm like, a lot of people in this position, I know a lot of people would be like, oh, okay, well, you believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. Yes. We're all good. But the Bible teaches that there'd be false prophets. That's right. And there's a twisting of the yeah. word of God by these groups. And yeah. so the, the, the difference between them and the gentleman is that they're going out there and doing, setting up their tent because they think that they're doing their works. He's doing it because he loves it. Yeah. Yeah. He loves Jesus. And he's not doing it because he thinks he has to to get to heaven. He knows he's he's already going. Exactly. He wants to share that with everyone. Like I've, he used to, he used to walk around last year without being in the wheelchair. And he was in this like stand up walker, the wheelchair basically. And, uh, Every day, every Saturday we'd see him and he's like, just so full of joy, Mm -hmm. so full of love and just a great guy to talk to, you know? And then this year he started doing this. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, you know, what a great, what a great testimony. Yeah. He's just doing it because he loves it and he loves people. Absolutely. And and so that's, this is one of those experiences I've had that's just reminded me, we got to take things back to what 
is most foundational, what's yeah. most important, and really defend that. And so, obviously, what can be more foundational than the, the deity Trinity. of Christ? And yeah. so, let's uh, look at some verses, and we're going to take our time. We don't want to rush through this. Um, like I said, uh, this is going to be probably a few weeks. Yeah. Because the Trinity, <laughs> I mean, I've been a Christian since I've been six years old. And I'm still growing in my understanding. And when I say growing in my understanding, I mean, as I've grown older, I've read the writings of the early church and I have dug into the original languages Yes, and, and I'm coming away with a, just a better grip on this doctrine, not wrapping my mind around it. Okay. When I say grip, it's like, it's, it's still, you know, a loose grip. I mean, how can a finite mind? You can't, we can't. Right. But I am appreciating it more and more. And um, so it's something that I can go back to and say, oh, well, I've always believed it. Yeah. But now I'm better equipped to defend it. And I I see it on every page of the Bible now. Well, back in the day, I might have just said, I got a verse here, a verse there to prove it. Now I just see it running through everything. Do you know, when I first became a Christian, um, I previously tried to read the Bible. But when I became a Christian... I started reading the Bible and going, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. Like I never saw it before, but like you just said, you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's throughout the whole Bible. You see it, the whole thing's pointing to, to the Messiah, mm-hmm. to Jesus. And, and he's there in the old Testament. He, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And not just you, even as a type or as, no, or as a symbol, he is there. there. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like it's there. He is not, not a type the, it's, oh no, that's Abraham. The he's guy talking, talking to, to Abraham, the guy talking to Gideon. That's him. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, what was that? That couple too, the old woman, maybe uh, Manoah parents. and his wife, Samson's yeah. parents. Samson's parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Why? Why? Uh, what do you say? Um, why why you, is it you ask my name, name, seeing as it is wonderful? Exactly. And then in Isaiah nine six, it, it, one of the names of the Messiah is, is wonderful. wonderful. And yeah. so, yeah, all throughout. And so, uh, in Deuteronomy six thirteen, mm. this is an important verse because it's going to set the foundation for what we're about to discuss. Jesus is worthy of worship, Mm. but we have to understand that according to the word of God, according to the old Testament, thou shalt fear the Lord Yahweh, Mm. thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. And you shall not go after other gods. So what this and what the 10 commandments commandment one and commandment two are all about is, you are to worship no one but God. That's right. So when we go into the New Testament and we see Jesus consistently accepting worship. Yes. And and the worship that's given to him is the same worship given to the Father. Yes. It is impossible not to say Jesus is God. Correct. It's impossible. Yeah. And so that to me is one of the greatest arguments for the deity of Christ. Hmm. And it's, it's one that I think a lot of people, they're not as impressed by it as they should be. There was one particular Unitarian, um, I think his name is Anthony Buzzard. And, uh, I don't know if he's still around, but I know he was, he was very, (laughs) very popular on the internet and lots of videos and anyways, but, uh, this fella basically admitted, if I remember correctly, that yeah, Jesus is worshiped in the new Testament. You do see that, mm-hmm. but the worship in the new Testament of Jesus 
still does improve that he's God. And I, I don't know. He allows the worship. It's like, I don't know what disconnect there is in his mind, yeah. but the old Testament, the whole Bible is monotheistic. Yes. There's only one God right. who is worthy of worship. So if you believe the new Testament is God's word mm-hmm. and Jesus is worshiped in the new Testament, then you have to believe he's God. It's a simple logical argument exactly. based on scripture. Yeah. And that's why many Muslims believe that the new Testament has been corrupted. Yes. The reason they'll say it's been corrupted is because they believe that originally Jesus being an, you know, an illustrious prophet, a great prophet, right. um, his teachings were changed over time and they would point to many things in the new Testament where it speaks of the deity of Christ. And they'd say, Oh, well, that that's corruption. That's not what it was originally stated. The reason they have to do that is because they're being consistent. They, they recognize that if Jesus is stated to be God, one with God, equal with God, worshiped as God, well, that can't be right. Right. You know, because they don't want to accept the Trinity. The same thing with the early church. You have these people who they were heretical groups and they rejected certain books. They rejected John. They rejected Paul and they only had the gospel of Matthew. These were the Ebionites. Yeah. And the gospel of Matthew that they had was, you know, very much altered. Sure. But the point is they could not accept John and they could not accept Paul because they give us the clearest statements to the deity of Christ. So these modern day Unitarians who are trying to hold on to the New Testament, mm-hmm. but yet deny the clear declarations of the deity of Jesus, mm. you really just need to take your cue from these heretical groups in the early church. At least right. they were more honest. Exactly. When they read it, they were like, yeah, John's saying Jesus is God. We think John's wrong. It's like, right. well, they're wrong, exactly. but at least they admit that John is saying what he's saying. Exactly. And so uh, Deuteronomy 6.13, we are to worship no other God, but then... We get to John 5, 23, and this is in a passage where Jesus in verse 18, he says, uh, or at least the, it says the onlookers, his audience recognized that he was claiming equality with God because he called himself the son of God. It says in verse 18 of chapter five, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Right. In verse 17, it says, Jesus answered them. My father worketh hitherto and I work. They believe that God, according to Jewish belief at this time, they believe that God had to work on the Sabbath to preserve creation. Mm. And he was the only one who was allowed to work on the Sabbath because he's God. Obviously he wrote the law. I mean, right. he has the right and he, <laughs> he has he's to God. uphold it right. or else we would cease to exist. Right. So they knew that, yeah, God's got to work to uphold the universe. Well, Jesus said, my father worketh here hitherto and I work. And he's putting himself on the same level as the father. Right. And they caught that. And John doesn't deny that he does not say anywhere for those Unitarians listening. He doesn't say anywhere. The Jews said that he was saying he was equal with God, but they just misunderstood him. Mm -mm. They didn't really get it. Jesus didn't mean that they got it. And John does not any way try to clear up any confusion because Jesus was indeed claiming equality with God. And that's the whole thesis of John's gospel going back to chapter one. Mm. And we'll touch on that more later. But in verse 23, it says, that all men, or we'll go back to verse 22, yeah, 22. Uh, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father, which hath sent him. Okay. 
This is saying that Jesus is to be worshipped, honored, just as the Father. Exactly right. So there's no difference. Like even Arians who will say, Arians being Jehovah's Witnesses, they're the modern equivalent, who say, oh, well, Jesus is preexistent mm. and he made things for God in the beginning, but he's still a creation of God. You know, he, he was created and then he created everything else. First off, how could Jesus create anything if he's not infinite God? Exactly. Okay. How could he creation ex nihilo creation out of nothing? How could he do that? Mm. If he wasn't God, exactly. He'd have to be all powerful and a finite being is not all powerful. Right. So it's inconsistent for you to say, Oh, well he created everything else, but he was himself first created. That's no. that doesn't cut it. It's not what scripture teaches and it's not logical either. Right. Um, but anyways, the point that I'm trying to make is that, um, that base, basically what you said is even, um, 26, basically read that for us. Uh, for as the father has life in, in himself, so he has given to the son to have life in himself and has given him the authority to execute judgment, but also, also because he is the son of man. So essentially what he's saying is he's God, he's the son of God and we're equal. But, but essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know. Yeah. And when it says son of man here, obviously when it says he giveth you know the son to have life, this is the commission of the father in sending the son into the world. Right. But the point is, and this is something that the early church fathers pointed out, it says he has life in himself. Exactly. Life in himself. Okay. Th this refers to a self-existent yes. being. And so we'll talk more about that because there are other verses that are more clear on this. But I mean, this verse is clear enough in saying that Jesus is to be honored exactly as the father is to be honored. And so exactly. this, this is making Jesus equal to God. So this is what I want to say to anybody who might be listening to this, um, who maybe doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. Um, this is what's going to happen one day. We're all going to stand before Jesus. We're yes. all going to stand before God. Yeah. Okay. If I believe that Jesus is God, okay, and I worship him as God's equal, and I find out, okay, well, maybe I was wrong, okay? I don't believe that I am, but let's just say hypothetically, um, I'm wrong. The word of God says that I'm supposed to worship Jesus just as much as I worship the Father. That's right. Okay. But a person who says, well, Jesus is not God and we're not to worship him as we're supposed to worship the father, mm. as Jehovah's Witnesses maintain, those people are going to have to stand before the Lord and they're going to be asked, like, why did you not worship my son? I clearly said in the word of God, plain as day in every translation that you are to worship him as much as you're to worship me. Right. So even if we may as Christians not understand the, the finer details of the Trinity of the Trinity. Right. Practically speaking, we are to give Jesus the same worship exactly. as the father. Now, of course, again, that's just the practical argument on top of that. We have the theological argument, which clearly teaches he is God explicitly in many places, but I'm just saying, even from a practical standpoint, we are to worship Jesus as God. And that means that the father will not be offended if you worship Jesus the same way you worship him, right. the father's not going to say, Hey, wait a second. You're giving him worship. You're only supposed to give to me. The father glories right. in worship given to the son. So that's something that yeah. we need to be very clear on. Um, moving on. Uh, we've talked about this on a Sunday. So 
Uh, we won't go to the verses, but in Revelation 5, 13 through 14, it says that uh, the father is worshiped, the one sitting on the throne mm-hmm. and the lamb too. So the worship right. is given to the one sitting on the throne and also unto the lamb. The lamb. And so the same worship that is given to the father is also given to the lamb. And so that is no doubt a fulfillment of what Jesus is referring to in John chapter five, uh, Philippians Mm. chapter two, some of my favorite verses. And I think that most Christians who have been exposed to the word of God for, you know, a good amount of time must be familiar with these verses, maybe unless you're just a baby Christian or something, but in Philippians two 10, it says, um, we'll go back to verse nine, actually, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under, under the, the earth. earth. That's everything guys. Yeah. And every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now notice a couple things. First, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess is a reference to Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And it says that every created thing will acknowledge Yahweh right. to be the one true God. Well, it says here in verse 11, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Yahweh. Right. So anybody reading this with any understanding of the Old Testament scriptures would know that the name that is given to Jesus is the name above all names. And that name above every name is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is being given that name. He's being given worship. It's not at the father's name here. Right. In this particular passage, it's at the name of Jesus, the son. And the father is not in any way offended by this. The father is glorified by it. And so these verses indisputably demonstrate that Jesus receives the exact same worship as the father. And that is inconceivable if he, from, wasn't, if he wasn't God, right? Because the word of God's a unified whole. The new Testament does not contradict the old Testament. And since the old Testament, even the new Testament, Jesus, when he was refusing to give into the temptation of the devil, he says, you shall worship the Lord, your God, and him only you shall serve. Right. Quoting Deuteronomy six. So according to the word of God, you're to worship no one, but Yahweh, Jesus is worshiped as Yahweh. He is Yahweh. Um, some other verses. If that, you, if you, what, what is it? When is it? When Philip asks, show us the father or what's he say? Is it Philip? Yeah. Sh- he says, show us the father. Show us, show Philip, us the father. Yeah. And he's like, I told you, <laughs> if you see me, you've seen the father. Don't you already know? Don't already? you know this? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So Jesus could only say that if he was one with the father. John 10 30, he is one with the father. Now, obviously this doesn't nullify the distinction of persons. The father isn't the son and the son isn't the father, but they're God, right? They are God. They share the same divine essence. Um, We can't understand it, but they do. We can't. And the way I explain it to my students, when we talk about this, I'll say, okay, uh, here's a podium. Y'all know what a podium is. Mm -hmm. This has all the essence of a podium. Okay. How many persons is this podium? And Mm -hmm. they'll say, well, zero. And I'll say, okay, now I'm standing behind the podium. I'm a human being. I have all the essence of a human. How many persons am I? One. Uh, So I said, okay, so we have one podium, zero persons, one human, one person. I said, there's one God and that one God is three persons. Right. And, and so it's not, there's obviously a difference. Okay. Between essence and personhood. 
The only reason people get hung up on the Trinity is because nothing in our experience is like that. But isn't that exactly what you should expect? Exactly. I mean, no one is like our God. How many times does the that, Bible tell us that? Der. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> it's right there. Like, yeah. it's one of the most basic things that you learn when you're reading the Bible. Right. No one's like God. No one's like God. So if you find that you can't find something in creation to explain God, well, he created everything. Exactly. He's above it. You can't put him in the box, which is creation. Uh, Romans 10, 13. This is where we'll wrap mm. it up a few verses here, but uh, Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One of my favorite verses. It's a simple gospel declaration tells us how you get saved. If you do that, you are saved and eternally secure. Right. But it comes from Joel two thirty two, mm. And in Joel two thirty two, the word Lord in Hebrew is, you guessed it, Yahweh. Right. So in Romans 10, 13, who is Lord? Look at verse nine. Confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and right. you shall be saved. I didn't know that the, uh, I didn't know that Romans was Romans that was 10, re- 13 was goes going, straight back I, to Joel 2, 32. I just, see, I got, I got distracted because I was going back to Joel. It's like, Oh wait. Oh yeah. Look at that. It is cool. Isn't it? Yeah. Be- again, you would miss that. You, you might be able to say, Oh, well, Lord could just be, you know, master, king, powerful, whatever. Yeah. No, but Lord, there is equivalent to Yahweh. I mean, it's, it's straight from that. And again, who is writing this? A monotheistic Jew named Paul. And so Jesus, Paul, he's inspired. Sorry. Yeah. He, yeah, <laughs> but, sorry. But the point I'm trying to make is Paul, would be very sensitive to these things. Absolutely. And he's not going, if if the new Testament is not intended to declare that Jesus is God, it's, it's a very poor job of it, you know, making its point. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. If what Jehovah's witnesses and Unitarians have to say is true, then it is not an easy thing to see. You have to to do gymnastics. Yes. You, you can't take it at face value and you have to ask like, why would God do that? He's not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wants to have people approach him like children. Mm-hmm. You speak plainly to children. Yes. He condescends to us. Scripture tells us that he comes down to our level to make himself known. So if he says that Jesus is God and he's Lord and he's to be worshiped, and as we'll see next time that he creates things and that he's yeah. eternal and he has no beginning, then maybe it means just that. Exactly. And maybe you just, you have a problem accepting it because you can't fit God in your mind. The Bible is so easy to understand if you just take it at face value. If you take it at faith, faith yeah, value. Faith value. It's even better. Faith yeah. value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and really, so, I mean, you re- oh, that's what it says. Okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. And it, that's what Christians did. That's what yes. they did in the early church. Like no one tries to explain it. If you look at Ignatius, I love Ignatius. He mm. has this creed and he talks about Jesus, the son of God and son of Mary, flesh and spirit, begotten and unbegotten, mm. uh, passable, which means capable of experience pain and impassable, incapable of experience and pain. He, he puts both of them side by side and he does not say at the end, now I'm going to explain how this works. Mm. He just states it. He's like, this is what the Bible says. This is what we've always been taught. It's what the apostles passed down to us. And by the time the council of Nicaea rolls around where they had their big debate about Arianism, Jehovah's witnesses, you know, they were, you know, becoming a dominant force in the church. It was a whole political thing too, but they don't, the Jehovah witnesses don't go back that far. No, when I say Jehovah's witnesses, I'm, I'm particularly talking about Arianism. Okay. Um, but when it comes to their Christology, 
the, their beliefs about yeah. Christ. It does go back to that time. So, you know, these people who are espousing these views um, in the three hundreds, they were in the minority. Like there were people called from all over the Roman empire. I mean, they came all the way from Egypt, from great Britain, from Gaul, from Rome. They came together in Nicaea in Turkey and they sat down and were like, this is not what we have been taught. Mm-hmm. Like all of us. Yeah. Right. And they had various traditions. Some of right. them were against uh, priestly celibacy. Yeah. Some were, were for it. Like they had disputes. Some were more sympathetic towards the Jews. Some were not, you know, you had lots of diversity mm-hmm. uh, of traditions and, you know, and different theological practices too. small right. doctrines, you know, doctrines, families can disagree on. Um, but when it came to the essential truth about the Trinity, they were all like, yeah, this guy's a heretic and this is what we've all believed. And so that didn't change the fact that for political reasons, Arianism was a, a dominant force. Hmm. Uh, and for a time, you know, because of the politics, Arianism could have won the day. It didn't. Hmm. Um, but the point is the people that gathered at that council representing Christianity, all over the Roman empire, um, to them, Arianism was foreign. And that's because like, we've just said, when you read the Bible yourself, that's not what you come away with. You don't come away with Jesus as a created being. You come away with Jesus being fully God, God and worthy of worship. Right. Uh, another verse that teaches Jesus's deity, um, talking about the term Lord. Um, they would say Jesus is a Lord. You know, he's not the Lord, right? Yeah. Not yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Lord. Well, uh, they wouldn't say he's, he's not Adonai. That's Adonai is God. Okay. The right. father. Well, in Revelation 9, 16, Jesus called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lords. Well, in first Timothy 6, 15, it's talking about the father and he's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. They have the exact same title. And that only makes sense if they sit equally on the throne. Right. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is not the son and he's not subordinate to the father is the father sent the son. That's true. Right. And we'll talk more about this and how the early church made sense of it. But the father does send the son. Um, and, and Jesus additionally in his humanity was a servant. He took on human nature and he served God. Um, and he lived life as a man. He didn't right. surrender his deity. He didn't empty himself of equality with God, but he did take upon himself um, a life that would require humility. Uh, it would require, you know, his service all the way up to the cross. And so we do acknowledge that all throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus as the quintessential servant of God. So uh, just so I understand. So yes. you're saying that he's he, as God, as the as the son, not as uh, I'll say it like this, not not as Jesus, the human form. You mean like pre-incarnate? Okay, we're talking okay. pre-incarnate yeah. Jesus. Pre-incarnate pre- Jesus. Yeah, he is not subservient. I, I don't like. I don't like the That's word. Not a re- no, I don't like the word subservient. I, w- no. I would say um, he. It's not the right. He adores yeah. the Father. He loves the father. Well, the father he is, loves him. He is, yes. And he is eager to serve the father's wishes That's because we do see the father sending the son and not the son sending the father. Right. And that's pre-incarnate stuff. Yes. Okay. So when we say the son is subordinate, we are not in any way saying that he is inferior. Right. Um, so the early church would say he is 100% God, just like the father. He's worthy of the same worship, same power, 
uh, honor, glory, all that. And we should worship him as such. But when we take this back to eternity, just like um, using this analogy of father, son, um, just like my father, if he asked me to do something, You're I'm going to do, do it. it for him. But yet my father, he's not greater than me. Uh, right. My father acknowledges that I'm a man and that we're equals yes. as human beings and as adults. But if my dad says, buddy, uh, I need some ice. Will you run to the store and get me some ice? Okay. I'm going to willingly do that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm probably as the son, not going to say, Hey daddy, can you go to the store and get some ice for me? Okay. Now if he's yeah. already out, I might ask sure. him to do it. Okay. But I'm not going to send my dad to do something for me. Right. I'm going to go and do that for my dad. Right. So I do think that we see that, that subordination, yeah, but yeah. again, that doesn't change the fact that look, I, you know, my dad is, you know, me and my dad were equals yes. and he, and he recognizes me as that. And mm-hmm. so the father and the son are equals, but we, we do see it's like the, those the, relationships, it's like the, the, the marriage, right? Like it's like, absolutely. The, you know, in the fact, there's even a comparison in certain texts in the new Testament yes. between uh, marriage and that, that type of subordination. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously, yeah, the, the woman is not inferior no, to the man. She's equal. And, and she, because she was taken from his side. She's of right. the same essence. Yes. Right. Uh, just as Jesus is at the same essence of the father, but we do see the, the male as the head of the house. Right. Um, and so I see my wife as my equal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she's even told the kids, you know, explaining these things like, you know, uh, when me and daddy are discussing things, um, he takes, you know, my opinions into account. He listens to me, he respects me, but ultimately it's his call. Yeah. And she and she doesn't have that taken from her. She willingly gives it. Um, I, I never, you know, just say, OK, I'm going to expect you to do this against your right. will. She's like, OK, buddy, I'm you know, I'm going to let you make that call. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's a debate. I will say mm. that even among Christians who believe in the Trinity, there are those who believe in what's called incarnational subordination. And they would say that Jesus becomes subordinate to the father only upon assuming a human nature. Mm. And then there are those who believe in what's called eternal functional subordination. They say functional because it has nothing to do with his nature. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's a choice. It's a fun- okay? functional. It, it's yeah. functional. It's it. They wouldn't say it's, it's not essential. It's not ontological. Yeah. If you want to use a fancy word, uh, but it is eternal. They would say that the son was submissive to the father even before. So the angel of the Lord, again, who is who is fulfilling this role as representing the father, going right. on behalf of the father, um, even creating on behalf of right. the father. It's the son. It's right? the son. Yeah. And so I do agree with that view. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that this is one of those things that people should get too hung up on yeah uh, yeah, yeah because yeah. i've seen some people get really hateful about this debate it's like, oh my a lot word. of name calling among yeah. evangelicals um and i don't want to get too much into it because i mean this is again a subject that ought to unify us um but anyways jesus revelation nineteen sixteen, he is called lord of lords and um going along with that i mean just consider the apostles um peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 26, when he gets to Cornelius's house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cornelius bows down before him he and says, Peter no, no, says, no. stop. Now, how many times before, let's say you've read the book of Luke. Okay. How many times before you get to Acts has people have people bowed down before Jesus? A lot. A lot. A lot. Same exact Greek term employed. Yeah. Okay. 
they were doing this to Jesus and he does not stop he them. He doesn't stop them. And then that. you get to Peter and he's like, stop. Yeah. I'm just a messenger. That's right. Who's messenger? I'm Christ's messenger. Right. You know, and so we we don't see Jesus ever stopping somebody. No. And then you have the angels in Revelation 22, 9, or the mm-hmm. angel in particular. But uh, there's one angel and he appears to John and John falls down and bows and the angel's like, stop, no, stop, 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 don't stop, worship stop, stop. me. So angels say, don't worship me. That's right. At least the ones that are obedient to God. Um, apostles say, don't worship me. But Jesus in John nine thirty eight, when he heals the blind man, it says the blind man worships him. Yeah. Isn't there some and place? he doesn't stop him. Sorry. Isn't there some place where the Jews got, am I wrong about this? Where the Jews said, you realize that they're, he's, they're worshiping you. And he's like, yeah, I know. Um, is, I that, don't, is that right? Or I don't I know. I mean, I, I think that that sort of scenario most definitely happens. Sure. I don't know if there's a Maybe I'm confusing a something other stuff. Yeah. In scripture, I know that that kind of sounds familiar to the story of, uh, you know, the the sinning woman who anoints Jesus' feet. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, Simon yeah. the Pharisee says, don't you realize that? So maybe... Maybe you're we're crossing. Maybe that's some yeah, of that's, that there. But yeah, no. But what what you, what you said, I can imagine it is certainly happening. We do know that Jesus did uh, claim the same honor and praise that is given to the Father as God, and He claimed to be equal with the Father. Yeah. And they tried to stone Him. John eight, they tried to stone Him. John ten, they tried to stone Him. And um, He shape shifted as and Jesus. And there. again, Jesus never <laughs> says, "Guys, look, I'm just a man." I'm flesh. I'm just, I'm just a created being. No, he says the opposite a million times. He's like, no, I'm from heaven. I'm from above. You're below. Before Abraham came to be, I am. You know, that's when they, oh, that's what they said. And he says, you're judging me according to the flesh. That's right. And he said, because you do that, because you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They were getting hung up on his physical human nature. And he's like, there's more to me than that. So again, for people who, don't believe that Jesus is God. There are even some, I think that Arians uh, are more popular today. Like Jehovah's witnesses are more popular, but there are a number of growing Unitarians that would say Jesus didn't even pre-exist. Can you believe that? Like even the Jehovah's no. witnesses admit that he was around in the old Testament, right. but these Unitarians deny that he was even pre-existent. They think that his life began at his birth. And there's no, there's That's, nothing to this idea of him coming into the world. Like, how like do you get the that? The Bible talks about right. Yeah, and, and again, it's like yes, there were people who believed that in the early church, but they denied John, they denied Paul, right. they threw them out because they knew that they couldn't reconcile their beliefs with those documents. Yeah, and but yet these Unitarians today, like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. So, anyways, that's a whole story. Yeah. But uh, next time we'll talk more about uh, Jesus claiming to be God's equal. There are a lot of verses that spell that out. We're going to talk more about what it means to be son, uh, when it says son of God, son of man, those titles. Um, and of course, we're going to look at. Let's see. I'm going to count them real quick. We got one, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine verses that explicitly call Jesus God. Mm. Um. One that calls him the Lord who comes to his temple. Uh, One that says that he has the fullness of deity. Another that says that he was in the form of God um, and equal to God. And so we're going to look at some of these verses, which, you know, if you're looking for clear verses that spell out Jesus being God, it's not just John 1, 1. 
There's a lot of other verses that you don't know about maybe, but we're going to go over those. So anyways, that's all we got for tonight. And hopefully you got something out of it. Cool.